Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Seth Rausch. Over the last two decades, Seth has been able to build an impressive resume of singers and artists that he's been able to record and tour with. Seth has worked with artists like Gary Allen, Joe Nichols, Little Big Town, and most recently, Keith Urban. While with Little Big Town, Seth had the opportunity to record their last two records and work with producer Jay Joyce. To find out more about this podcast and all the other episodes that we've done, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. This really helps this podcast grow. If you like what we're doing here at Working Drummer Podcast and you want to help sustain this ongoing project that Mike and Zach and I have been doing for over two and a half years, there's a way that you can help. And there are many progressive rewards for those of you who can help. I'm talking about free Skype lessons from pro drummers like Ben Caesar and Carter McLean, a free Working Drummer t-shirt, access to bonus content, shout outs, Twitter follows, and even a personal feature on you within an episode. Check out all the details at patreon.com slash working drummer. Donations start out at a dollar per month. So check that out, patreon.com slash working drummer, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash working drummer. You can also find the uh, donate button on our website. So here's my conversation with Seth Rausch. I never would have thought that I'd have a family in complete full swing and, you know, um, also a drumming career. Complete full swing. Yeah. But <laughs> but maybe that's, it's, I'm really thankful for it, you know? Yeah. It allows me to do what I know how to do and, and um, give my family everything they need, which is cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you're from a larger family as well? I am. Um, uh, I both have parents that um, have remarried, but mm-hmm. as a whole, I grew up in upstate New York, so mm-hmm. my dad's side of the family, there was uh, they were musical, real musical is kind of where it came from, but my grandparents had nine kids. Okay. My dad's the oldest, so oh, wow. I have about 40 cousins just... <laughs> just on my dad's side and we were always together you know yeah. so yeah. i'm used to being around right a lot of a lot of people yeah um but yeah as far as my own personal family i never thought about one or three or two or five i just yeah yeah which is kind of cool you know it um as you know you know how fast time goes right and Maybe the fact that I couldn't sit and ponder and plan out was good for me because I just blink my eyes and I look back and I see him running around and it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like I hadn't even had time to think about it and I have all these yeah. awesome gifts running around, which is cool. Right, you know? right. And I think that's 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 a really good thing to, to keep in mind, I think, because we, we live, especially in, in our kind of, the, the society that which we live in right now, there's so much plan, there's so much that we, you know, there's ways to plan and organize, you know, your life, your career, your mm-hmm. family, and things like that. And so it's just, but also you can't, you can only plan so much. Yeah. You know, other things happen. It's how you react to things. Yeah, definitely. 
tell me about um, tell me about this this month, this next couple of months. Kind of get us up to speed with what you're doing. Um, this year is a um, kind of a light year. Um, Keith will tend to um, do a full on tour mm-hmm. in support of an album or whatever it might be, and then and then have a year where he's uh, kind of looking at making new music and. We'll hit some f- festivals and fairs and and uh, corporate gigs, and that's kind of what this year is. So most of our work is packed into where we are right now. So this month, the next month, and then it'll kind of trail off again. So not too much more going on. Um, maybe eight or nine shows now through the rest of the year. Okay. You know, okay. Um, we may hit 50 this year so as far as having some family time it's been awesome yeah um but it's always great doing the festival years when you can um meet those crowds and see your your bros out on shows and stuff you know yes we were talking about the last time we saw each other you were with little big town i don't know how many years ago that was at pei up in canada yeah that would have been um, three or four years ago? Going on three years now. Yeah. Well, I've been on this gig for going on three years, so it could have been two, okay. two and a half when we okay. saw each other, you know? Yeah. Dude, you sounded great. It was uh, awesome, man. I mean, just the, it was a, it's a smallish band backing up the four yeah. people. But still, to keep all that stuff happening, man, yeah. it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, I enjoyed working with those guys immensely. Um wasn't an easy decision to move but yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun and it was really great um being in a situation where you're supporting the music that you made you know yes i made two records with them which yeah. is, so by the end it was more or less playing those tunes which is awesome right you know? right i want to ask you about that for sure um tell me real quick um like doing festival dates compared to just headlining shows is there anything different about you guys uh, your setup or how you approach the show sound check things like that um yeah uh the reason i ask it seems obvious that there would be a difference but when you're working with groups like little big town and keith urban those acts take precedence in many of these festival shows mm-hmm. because a lot of times they're headlining or they're the closing act or whatever. So those acts get the attention, you know, that sometimes earlier acts in the day don't always get in fitting a schedule or whatever. So how does that fit for, like, Keith's gig? Um, I, you know, I kind of look at it as the festival years um, add the tools to really knock out you know the tour dates which and what i mean is like there'll be a lot of festivals where we don't even sound check we don't even look at our instruments until we walk on stage you Mm. know um we're either flying in that day or there's just so many acts that they need to set up at eight in the morning and push back and Mm -hmm. and that's it Mm -hmm. um minimal production um keith loves to jam he loves to um you know, do have spontaneity with the audience and stuff. So we roll with all those punches within whatever the set structure is, but having those kind of fun, quote unquote, loose, yeah, uh, it just makes you stronger when you go out and, yeah. and have 
complete stability where you're pretty much in a controlled, it's your show, you mm-hmm. know, you're in a controlled environment where you're sound checking. It, it, um, I think it helps. It kind of, it's like knowing how to play by ear and jam so that when you get into a setting where you need to watch and look, you're, you're comfortable, you know? Right, right. It, it, it it keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. It keeps that part of your brain sharp. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, you can always feel the transition, you know, where you do a tour and you pretty much play the same set, and yeah. you, you got it. You guys got it locked, you know, like yeah. by a few months in, and yeah. it's just like listening to your favorite record where you start humming the next song. After mm-hmm. one finishes, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and then you hit a year where well, let's try it in this order and this order, and it's like, you know, ooh, that muscle memory is a little yeah, right, right, right. That song's not supposed to come after that, you know. <laughs> but it 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 you know takes you out of your element in a good way and, yeah. and allows you to just take what comes at you, and then it makes it that much easier and 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 stuff when you're when you're back to just controlling every aspect of your own show you know? yeah right, right so what's the what's the setup what's the band uh right now um we're uh we're four piece behind keith okay um so we have you know bass drums uh, an auxiliary guitar okay. player and uh and then we added the fourth band member last year who mm-hmm. he uh, does guitar um triggers tracks um uh keyboards okay you know kind of another utility guy in a sense but yeah it's it's awesome having someone who um you know we are a track laden band yeah um but having a guy who can fire a lot of those things in real time uh makes it a more musical and more engaging so explain, like, so is there tracks that are beginning to end, or in this situation? There are some of those which okay. come from computer world. Okay. Um, and then... Are um, you starting that stuff? I Someone am else. starting okay. and stopping. We we just um, added um, a tracks guy last year, because, you know, with Keith, it really allows him the freedom to break down when he wants, or talk mm-hmm. to the audience, or do it, and to have someone that can just keep us on the grid wherever we need to be, say when we start the next verse or the next chorus, that's really helpful. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, um, which is my first year in the band, I was starting, stopping, and kind of running the tracks. And so... Ableton? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if something got off, there really wasn't much to do except hit mute or stop, you know, because <laughs> you can't really play and... Yeah. Um there's there's obvious obviously ways around it but um so getting back to uh nate the auxiliary guy he um you know he just picked all the parts and samples that he would like to play mm-hmm. and just cut them up and basically assigned them a midi note you know he's running a really cool rig where um you get the visual aspect of it too. So he's he's kind of using the touch screen um, uh, ability that an iPad has. Oh wow! And there's an app that you can divide the screen up into you know 
two parts or four parts or whatever. And okay. so it's almost like the, like Simon, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's so like thinking. each right. section will fire. Yeah. So if there's a certain part, uh-huh. he can fire that. It might be uh, anywhere from uh, a beat long or a bar Mm-hmm. Or it could be a phrase, you yeah. know. Yeah. But um, you know, you visually see the light change instead of just hitting the MIDI keyboard, which is okay. awesome. Okay. But um, yeah. So it's cool. So we're all engaged, and and um, uh, it really takes a lot off of what's just running in the background. We're trying to, in one facet or another, make as much of the music physically on stage as we can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which yeah. is cool. It sounds like the next step, if in a track, like you say, a track late mm-hmm. act, where it's like, well, you have the ability to make those changes mm-hmm. uh, and still engage in the audience and create a show that's unique to that performance and still have tracks. Yeah. Because th- I've never done anything like that, but there's been times when a band will say, okay, we're done with tracks because we need to have some flexibility. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you guys have that for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but the first, but when you first started, it was beginning to end, or you were starting and mm-hmm. stopping it. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, th- those those of us who've worked in Nashville and played country music of any sort have played Keith Urban stuff, and there's so many fans, so many musicians that are fans, mm-hmm. I should say, of Keith. Yeah. As a songwriter as a guitar player, um, what a what a great catalog of material. And yeah. what a great list of drummers who've worked with him in the studio and live. Mm-hmm. So what a what a great opportunity. Yeah. Tell us kind of how the gig came about. Um, I would say most directly um, when I was still on the LBT gig mm-hmm. in 2013. We went out as the middle slot on his Fuse tour mm-hmm. um, when he was going out to support that record. And so our band and his band kind of became friends and, mm-hmm. you know, as you would over a six-month period. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think they were just a fan, you know, Keith's band, they were just a fan of what LBT's band had going on. They were you know, awesome enough to to literally pretty much watch our set every single night they mm. were on the stage watching. So, um, uh, you know, um, we a couple times we would set up after gigs and jam a little bit in the parking oh, wow. lot, which was fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, that tour came and went and, um, I, you know, I... I guess they were a fan of what I was doing and, mm-hmm. and and everything and I was completely unaware that there was any change in mm. Keith's camp I mean Chris who's amazing was there for mm. 11 or 13 years or something was like that was it that long? yeah okay um, and uh, yeah um, I guess that tour ended um, in February of 14 Mm-hmm. And that year, um, December, I, I, I woke up one morning and had a text from Jerry Flowers, who's now okay. the new band leader. Okay. Um, 
And has been. And Jerry's uh, the bass player. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, said, hey, man, you know, give me a call. And when I called him, he told me that Chris wasn't there anymore and and he'd really like me to have the gig, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah. that was pretty much, I would say, most directly it came from just establishing that relationship yeah. on that tour, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a great scenario for anyone who's in that position because you basically have six months to audition. <laughs> I mean, like you're they're they're seeing you play, yeah, in your yeah. element, yes, every day. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, so there's not a lot of mystery sure. uh, there, but that obviously um, uh, inspired him to to call, and I'm th- really thankful for it. Yeah, so. Are there any unique expectations about Keith's gig compared to Little Big Town? Um, not necessarily. I think for me, um, uh, it was it was a great, healthy for my playing type of change. But you know, LBT's thing had slowly evolved in. Uh, it's definitely grittier um, mm-hmm. um, type of music um, where Keith has a lot of stuff that's, you know, I mean, it was, Chris helped fashion that. I mean, he recorded everything and he was, he's he has a lot of power and, and mm-hmm. forward motion mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. his playing. Um, Wasn't Chris on some of the early... Mm-hmm. LBT stuff too. Yeah, he did most of it up until okay. the Tornado record. You know, yeah, just about all of it, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, so um, just just coming in and and giving them uh, the what they were used to, and then kind of being me at the same time. Yeah. Um, and even two and a half years later, I feel like. Um it's been a great process as a band taking all that stuff and, and almost like looking at it as far as text and like italicizing it a little bit and kind of, oh, it's you yeah, know, I like that. Giving it the forward that it needs, but, um, maybe carving out some, you know, some, some bendiness, you know <laughs> what I mean? Or, or whatever, but some, some sethiness. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, but, the, um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. You know? Now, a lot of times people talk about when they go into a new gig or even an audition, um, playing the record or doing what you do. And, um, I've seen, or, or People have discussed the benefits of both, and artists prefer one over another. What about what about this? What about I mean, with with Little Big Town, the the last few records you were on, you were playing your own part, mm-hmm. and um, and when I saw you play, I seem to remember you doing some different things with them live that I remember from the recording. Mm-hmm. I thought oh, that's cool, you know, here that that. The show is changing. It's evolving. Yeah. You know, your parts are evolving. Even within the context of your own studio performance, it was evolving. What about Keith's thing? Uh, did you s- use Chris's playing as a starting point? Um, yeah, absolutely. You uh-huh. know, um, and how close 
to his playing? Were you copying fills and things like that? Or was like, okay, this is the feel? I definitely started out, um, you know, trying to get as close to what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously in today's world, we have unlimited access to live videos and recordings. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So to be able to compare record to this live show and then record to this live show. And, you know, obviously, I think, as we both know, um, over time, the name of the game is give it the feel that it needs Mm -hmm. for the comfort zone. And then, you know, if it's a specific type of fill, um, then you go for that. But you pretty much uh, inadvertently learn where your ceiling is, where there's a number of things you can do that still give it energy but doesn't take away from whatever that original idea was, all within the feel of the song. Yes. You know? So, and uh, definitely over the past two years, I've learned where those areas are by just learning Keith's you know, what he likes and where he wants to go. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause we'll, we'll learn a new song and almost immediately, you know, you learn what you can almost beef up and play differently to get that album track to translate in the energy of a live show. Oh, you and know? anything f- suggestion or advice from him or was a little of both, okay. you know, he, I mean, it's what's awesome about him being, uh, a great musician is that he knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, some sometimes they're very specific. Do you have any example of that? Of something that he might have um, suggested? Like uh, you know, don't wear that hat. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> a lot of that. No, um, he loves um, like accents, like with cymbal crashes on the backbeat. You know, and I don't know. I've always tended to hear that in Chris's playing. Um, So I don't know if Keith really likes that because that's what he, he digs that because he always got that. Or if maybe that shaped Chris a little bit because that's what Keith wanted. Right, right, right. But, you know. um, Lonnie Wilson does that a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that that type of stuff, Uh you know. Um, Or... You know, let's let's just go to the ride symbol on this part, or nothing too crazy. It's usually things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's hit the ride on this section just to wash it out a little. Or, yeah. Um, you know, so there's been a few things like that, and then and those are all um, those are all part of the page in the book. You know, and then mm-hmm. that tells you, you know, it, you hit a certain point where you know. You know, like if I give this something here, you know, like I've I've taken certain sections where maybe I'm crash riding or, uh-huh. um, you know, playing solid backbeats, uh-huh. you know, and because I feel like I've learned he would dig this energy. Right, right, and, right. Based on the yeah, yeah what he's advised um, before. Yeah, so, uh, you know. Just not much, much more than stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. You're my guest. 
and this is about you. I have a, an example of something I'm working on this week yeah. that very that relates to. So I'm getting ready to do my first show with Julie Roberts in a couple weeks. Yep. And I'm working on a track from her first record that Shannon Forrest. Yeah, huge fan on. of Shannon. He's Me too. a dear friend of mine, and he's yeah, he's one of my favorites. He's uh, I would probably the favorite, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, here. he's he's definitely somebody I'd love to have on on the show at some point. But I'm a huge fan of his, and I really so so badly want to play the part that he has on this one track. But I feel like every time I try and do exactly what he did with his approach and finesse, mm -hmm. it takes away from the energy. Yeah, I, I, there's just some my my abilities aren't as great as his, and I'm thinking every time I try and do his lick, I can play it, but it's something is taking away from the overall feel. Mm -hmm. And maybe at some point down the road, when I'm a little bit more comfortable with the song, I, I, maybe I could interject that. But right now, I'm having to make that decision to play that one Shannon Forrest lick. Is that worth it to 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 not connect with the bass player and and, and the guitar player and eventually to Julie and the whole and the vibe, the energy of the live show? Sure. And um, as a drummer. I so badly don't want to let it go. But as a supporter of the music and ultimately the singer, I may just have to let that let go and make sure I'm concentrating on that. And so that's, uh, it, it, you mentioned like know your ceiling or know kind of what works, uh, not your limitations, but, but in a way maybe your personality and how um, it fits within the context of the song so that the energy is not lost, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what you're trying to do on the drums. And you also mentioned what's going to translate live that maybe worked in the studio, but needs to be elevated somewhat so that it comes across live in that thing. So uh, it's that it's just ironic that you bring that up because yeah. it's like, yeah, oh yeah. I'm and you that. take comfort in knowing that not only the guys that are tracking most of the studio stuff, but um, if they had to go out in a live situation, chances are they wouldn't play yeah. some of the same things, A, or in the same way. Yeah. Because it takes on a new, you know, you look at old Toto videos of Jeff playing Rosanna, yes. and yes. the hi-hat's way heavier and almost washier yeah. than that Mm -hmm. that you hear on the record, you know, mm -hmm. because it evolves. It, it's it's supposed to live and breathe, and, and you find ways of not cheating what was originally there, but making it a little heavier and more translatable mm -hmm. in a live setting. You Did know? you find yourself doing that with uh, Little Big Town with your studio recordings into live? Yeah. Yeah. Um trying to think of any examples to give you but i, I would so it'd pontoon, be a resounding yes for sure pontoon you know? for example there's a lot going on there mm -hmm. um within the hi-hat and some left hand ghosting and things like that mm -hmm. how did you perform that live um pretty much the same way yeah i just tried you just you don't have the um it's hard to capture uh, a, the picture live that you can in the studio when mm -hmm. everything's in its own isolated box and you can crank mics up and you yep. can... Yeah. So 
it's never fully going to sound as pure and decisive and, um, you know, as clear as it would on the record, you know? Right. But so I, but I found myself uh, just playing it more intently, <laughs> you know? I didn't really change it. I didn't go to eighth notes on the hi-hat. Uh-huh. Um, I really tried to just keep it as... as um, as jumpy as yeah. it was, just yeah, just dig it in a little more, you know. Well, and you, make think, the snares a little drier, okay, you know, tighter, so that the things would pop out, you uh-huh. know. But, but it, I think that there was room to do that. I mean, it seemed like it was a small, small enough band that mm-hmm. anything that you did on the drums could be heard. It wasn't mm-hmm. lost in the sea of sound, or, yeah, you know, wall of sound. Yeah, we definitely had that going for us. Yeah, <laughs> and it sounds like with Keith too, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and really, for all intensive purposes, uh, other than a uh, really not much of maybe a perk track. I mean, until Tornado came along, they were essentially a trackless band. There was no tracks. Okay, it it was just you know. I think when when I got into the band. We added a computer to be able to f- have like all of our clicks in one place and be able to change things and, and you know easily and add a shaker track or a perk track. But there was essentially no tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, a, just maybe a couple from some past singles, and then you know once that first record got made with Jay, and there was you know nineteen different. <laughs> twinkly parts and yeah. stuff that he that's awesome that he would it would add or whatever we wanted to try to keep it sounding as close to to the record you know yeah so. um i want to i want to go through uh, a, a quick timeline if i if we can okay. just uh so people kind of know about you and and sure. what happened um you're from upstate new york mm-hmm and you started playing drums when you were three? I was three, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have the picture. I don't know how much music I was making, but... Yeah, you're my... 23 now. What's that? You're 23 now. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish. Um, <laughs> With nine kids. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so let's see. Um, my Uncle Ron, uh, who was the husband to my Aunt Angela, she was the female singer in my uncle's band, Okay. That I listened to growing up. Yeah. Um, which is where the whole music musical background sure. came from. Um, yeah, he bought me my first set when I was three. Jeez. Um, and uh, I never gave it up, you know? Yeah. But but everybody, there was a musical family, mm-hmm. so you were surrounded by that. Constantly. And yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yep. What brought you to Nashville compared to, like, New York? Um, my dad was really into crafting his songwriting mm. abilities, and he he just really dug the art of of writing songs, and was yeah. into a lot of the guys who were writing a lot of the hits of the eighties, and mm-hmm. um, and Nashville mm-hmm. songwriting, yeah, okay, Nashville yeah. hits, yeah, okay, definitely. Um, and that's what was cool about listening to my uncles too is. I mean, I grew up listening to, you know, 
Dire Straits and Credence, Merle Haggard, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, just Alabama. It was it was it was James Taylor was a huge huge influence. Yeah, you know. So being that I was always listening to James, um, obviously Russ Kunkel was mm-hmm. one of my biggest influences at first, and then that got changed to Carlos. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I live and breathe anything I can. I could get my ears on as far as Carlos goes. You know, he's yeah. my favorite. But um, so, yeah, um, you know, kind of he saw where um, economically New York State was going. It just was he just kind of felt like he wanted to make a change. Mm-hmm. And we were all my whole family was basically born and raised in New York the whole their whole lives, you know. Mm-hmm. But just, yeah, wanted to wanted. And so he came down and, and looked for a place, and ultimately he and my stepmom and some of my siblings came down mm-hmm. in 93, maybe. Okay. And um, I followed in 96. Okay. He was already meeting people and people that were in uh, country bands that I'd heard of and, yeah. and stuff like that. And I graduated high school in 96 and moved to Nashville. Yeah. And I moved here in 2000, and okay. we met fairly shortly after that. Mm-hmm. So I was working at Forks Drum Closet, yep. and you started taking lessons with George Lawrence yeah. at the time. Yep. And Which pretty much happened right away. Um, my, my, not to cut you off. No, go ahead. Um, you know, my dad, they moved, um, obviously, being a Catholic family, that they started going to the Catholic Church right there in Gallatin. And, you know, one of the first days he's in there, he looks up and sees Frank Myers, who, you know, I mean, growing up, they were always doing that Eddie Rabbit, Crystal Gale song, Just You and I. And so he knew Frank's name, and Mm -hmm. he knew who he was because of his really following songwriting. Yeah, Frank wrote that when he was 23, and and didn't realize he was even a part of this parish, and then met another guy, um pretty quick named Joe Rogers, um, who was a steel and dobro player, um, who was in Brian White's band back in the day and played with Shelly Wright. Uh So when I came down, uh, uh, Joe Rogers was also in, um, Larry Stewart's band who Larry Stewart was obviously the lead singer from Restless Heart. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I came down, I met Joe, um, and Joe said, I got someone you need to meet. Yeah. Because he and George Lawrence were in Larry Stewart's band together. Okay. And he said, I'm, I, I got to bring you to this place called Forks and meet this guy, George. He mm-hmm. teaches there. He's an awesome drummer and, and guy. And, and so almost immediately within my first couple days, mm-hmm. I was taken to Forks and met George. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And that seemed like an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Important meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, George was teaching there when I was working there, and he had a couple students that he liked to talk about, and you were one of them, mm. for sure. And uh, he was teaching a couple uh, uh, older students like yourself, but um, he, I remember George's like, I need more older students, experienced students. Would you take some lessons? Would, can I 
teach you a couple of lessons just to kind of keep things in, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he talked about you and then he's like, you're going to get this kid on a gig. And then the Wilkinson's, 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 yep, Wilkinson's yep. opportunity came up mm-hmm. and you were off and running. Yep. And that came after many failed auditions. You know, okay. uh, what's wild is, you know, as many times as you hear, well, you know, maybe the guy they picked won't work out or maybe it will happen and maybe it'll mm-hmm. come. The chances of that happening are, you're like, you know, you feel bad enough already. <laughs> like, you're never going to work, you know. But, you know, I went through a lot of auditions. Uh, I mean, from Gary Allen, the Dixie Chicks, um, uh, Melody Crittenden, Brian White, hmm. uh, the Wilkinsons. Oh, I yeah? actually auditioned for them and didn't get it. Okay. Um, and ironically enough, over the course of time, uh, I ended up getting the Wilkinsons gig. Yeah. After not getting it. Yeah. And then ended up touring with Gary Allen for yeah, almost yeah. two years. Yeah. After not getting it in the beginning. And I saw you with Gary Allen. I was playing with Lauren Lucas. We opened up for yeah. you guys and saw you. I did some gigs with Lauren. Oh, yeah? Yeah, early on, yeah. As a matter of fact, you had, this blew my mind, a couple things. You had an ear mix and you had a line running up the back of your seat to give you more room, I think. Okay. I think. Yeah. But but you also had an extra mic running directly on your snare drum so that you could adjust the volume of the snare drum. I think. Did I at that point? I may have yeah. done that. that. Yeah. You know, the snare is such a pivotal, you know. Yeah. It's it's hard when you, I mean, it's kind of, everything's kind of around that. It, it's especially, especially when you're doing stuff where the dynamic changes so much if you're playing brushes or if you're playing, yeah. you know, if you're playing heavy. So, like, to have that ability, mm-hmm. otherwise you're pulling ears out and, you know, and all that to adjust it. But, but man, it just, uh, I, I was making a list of people that you were working with um, leading up to Little Big Town and, and eventually Keith, but uh, Wilkinson's, Brian McComas, Phil Vassar, Joe Nichols, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Gary Allen. Yep. Um, and Joe's gig came after Gary's. Okay. Um, I'd, gotten let go is the only gig I've ever gotten let go from uh, was Gary's was Gary's okay. uh-huh. um, uh huh which is you know uh, you know which is also as a side note to any young guys who might be listening to this don't or old guys yeah well, yeah <laughs> so like you know there's a big difference between not being good mm-hmm. good enough and not being what a certain artist is looking for, yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, I'd I'd held the gig for going on two years, and the band was great, mm-hmm. um, but when an artist feels like there's just something else that they need, yeah, you know, just use it as a learning experience, and don't, you know, it's easy to think, oh, I'm never going to work again, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know. Yeah, Joe's gig came after Gary's. They had the same management, and I had a great relationship with with all of them. And um, Gary's manager just said, you know, he's looking for something right now, and and uh, 
if there's anything I can do for you, I will. And so sure enough, within the next year, his other artist that he had, Joe. Joe Nichols. Um, needed a drummer, and so they just placed me on that gig, and I did that for a couple of years, you know. Cool. Yeah. Cool. It's... It, um I always kind of take it for granted that that people know that if you're let go from a gig or if you're quote unquote fired from a gig or whatever, mm-hmm. that it's no reflection on you as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there's there's uh, you know a good friend of mine was who's a wonderful wonderful guitar player was playing with an artist who. Um, a friend of mine saw and he goes it was not the most exciting gig in the world like he just did not connect with the audience his critique mm-hmm. of this particular artist my buddy was working with him and and got let go and 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 they said the excuse was he wasn't this guitar player wasn't bringing enough energy to the show and i'm thinking to myself you're losing a great guy mm-hmm. you're losing a great guitar player and He's not bringing the energy to the show, but yeah. I mean, you just know that it's not a reflection on you, and I think I think most people understand that, you know. Yeah, in this business, it's it's unique to the fact that an entire um, I don't want to say something as big as corporation, but organization mm-hmm. of employed people revolves around most of the time one person yeah it's not it's not a corporation where there's um different branch heads and it's like it's what this one person feels that however they're moved to whatever direction they want to go in Mm -hmm. and everything revolves around what this one person's decision might be and so if it happens to be something that um where your area needs to change, mm-hmm. then that's just what it is, you know. Yeah, and things all, all things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Some people believe. Yeah, and know, I and... I absolutely feel that way about mm-hmm. that. I feel like, um, I, I absolutely feel that, uh, you know, when you're working and you're getting a paycheck and doing what you love to do. Um. For one reason or another, if you feel the situation isn't right for you or maybe you're not connecting to the music or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. it's hard to just stand up and walk away from yes. work. Yeah. And so I feel like um, I was – the decision was made for me, which – was almost a cop out for me you know it was a little rough at first but i feel like god just pulled me out of a situation to let the door open to Mm -hmm. for others you know Mm -hmm. uh definitely feel that way looking back so where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums custom drums and legendary drummers not so modern drummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. 
So check out notsomoderndrummer.com. There was a great article uh, that Jim Riley interviewed you for Modern Drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to get too much into stuff that's already been covered. You you d- dive into the um, recording process with Little Big Town. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Joyce was producing, and um, c- I just want to touch briefly on that sure. to kind of make people more aware. We've already talked a little bit about it, but when you were with them, the last couple of records, you were involved in the recording, which... Um, for a long time wasn't the case and right. isn't always now but um, now bands um, it's not uncommon sure so whether it's uh, you know Brad Paisley uh, Jason Aldean there's different bands so here's an opportunity and um, it was news it's like hey do you know Seth's on this record oh cool wow this is great yeah um, so how'd that come about and what was that experience like um I think um, <clears throat> partly uh, thankful for us, Jay, um, he just loves bands. He, mm-hmm. he appreciates vibe and feel more than just, I'm making any type of record, I'm going to call the guys that I call on. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think guys in this town deserve those phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but... He just tends to not work that way. So mm-hmm. when LBT started the um, the relationship with him and decided they were going to use him, uh, just the fact that it was Jay, it was kind of floating around. I remember us as a band like, oh, I mean, I wonder if we'll get to make some music with him, you mm-hmm. know. And um, um Jay came out to a show. Uh, we had a show in Chicago, and he came out and just watched the band and just said, I, I, I don't see any problem with Let's just go in as a band and do what you guys do, mm-hmm. you know? So that's pretty much nice. how it how it started, yeah. you know? And once the process started, <clears throat> you know, at, like like all good producers, I think, they want the feel and the time and uh, the drums to which obviously is a huge part of that to be right yeah. you know so I was always attentive to take direction when he wanted to give it mm-hmm. but I was also really thankful that most of the stuff that I where I felt like I wanted to take the groove or what kind of feel to give it um he was right in line with kind of what he was thinking he wanted. Okay. You know, because I heard that it could tend to go the other way and that he'll, if, if it's the type of situation where it's just not coming across, yeah. you know, he'll tend to ride the drummer pretty hard. Yeah. You know, and uh, got a couple comments from the engineers like, this is probably the least I've ever heard him talk oh, cool. to a drummer, which is <laughs> which like, is great. Yeah. I mean, because at that point, we I mean, there's any number of scenarios that could happen in this mm-hmm. town with so many guys at anyone's disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would have been a huge bummer, but wouldn't have be unheard of mm-hmm. like 
if we tracked for a day or two and hey guys look it just feels like we're not getting what we need and we're gonna bring in common name so and so and yeah I was fully aware that any of that could have happened. I've never worked with Jay. I've never made a record with LBT. Yeah. Um, uh, had done, uh, uh, you know, my fair share of sessions up mm-hmm. to that point. Um, but it just all fell in line. It was really, really nice. It was fun. And, um, yeah. I heard there, there was a couple things that you did to create some sounds like to you know add to the groove add to the kind of a, a percussive sound some unique uh unorthodox mm-hmm. methods yeah one of them i guess was which i think maybe tucked away in the back of my mind um in my psyche was when johnny rab had had a symbol that he would play on the snare drum which yeah. gave that kind of um drum and bass yeah type uh-huh. feel he obviously he, he he physically hit the drum with the cymbal yep um i guess it started with pontoon um and uh the the original loop that 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 demo of that song literally was nothing more than just a uh the most basic hi-hat kick drum and kind of a clap it wasn't really a snare sound it was like a clap mm-hmm. just t- t- clap, t- 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 <laughs> and one little electric that sounded like it was plugged direct in the dem and the one of the writers natalie singing it because okay. there's really wasn't like a full produced demo yeah but Jay just loved the feeling of that. And if you listen to Pontoon, you can hear it. Like on a couple of the breakdowns, that's the original demo loop. It's just... But something about that snare um, triggered in my mind, man, I love the way a splash sounds on a snare drum. Yeah. And you see guys do it all the time now. Right. I, I could honestly say I am I am no innovator. Don't take it that way. But I, I honestly just don't remember seeing anybody playing a cymbal on a snare mm-hmm. other than seeing Johnny, who his deal was to create a lot of sounds. It, that, yeah, that, like was, he had that was part of the snare. Had, yeah. I mean, that was part of his... Right, many things that mm-hmm. he was doing. Yeah. But at that point, <clears throat> I don't even really remember specifically thinking about Johnny. I, something just said, I, I should put this symbol on this drum and mm-hmm. and hit it because it will kind of match the vibe. And so Jay, as I, as I think I mentioned in that article, he was looking for just um, not typical ways of expressing what would typically be the hi-hat time mm-hmm. uh, or um, you know not just hi-hat kicks and air so um, and he was also not wanting any of those textures to be in the way of the four vocalists mm. um, so yeah that was the one of the first um, so on the verses I'm just playing the splash instead of a side stick or yeah you know yeah, yeah. whatever and then you know right hand on the rim of the tom instead of on the hi-hat okay until the second verse you yeah know? yeah but uh 
Yeah, a lot of um, this one song, uh, Pavement, it's not as easy to hear as Pontoon, but it was basically, you know, a roasting pan <laughs> and my car keys and some other stuff on the floor, Tom, you know, for the verses. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. You know. And do you think that, that that's becoming more standard as far as, like, people creating sonic sounds absolutely as a percussionist like uh, in many ways maybe almost we're going full circle back to the quote-unquote trap mm-hmm. set yeah you know i think um it's twofold it's i think it's easy when we as people learn something we feel like um well because i know it everyone's knowing it but like for me personally um i that whole process i learned a lot from it Mm -hmm. you know that you don't just have to show up to the studio with um perfectly tuned drums with brand new heads and (laughs) you know uh because it's just about capturing yeah vibe and yeah. feel and a sound you know yeah so not only was that my eyes kind of open to just and it's one thing i love to do now when i'm on a session if i was in this room i would just look around and mm-hmm. say what can i hit that would sound cool mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. get a cool feel from it or yeah. or texture or whatever but i think not only did it did it open my eyes to that but you see uh, i think you see a lot of that now you know yeah. you guys like aaron sterling and he mm-hmm. just you know matt chamberlain was a huge yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh proponent to all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff where he just would play mm-hmm. you know fo- metal folding chairs and just different right. stuff you know yeah but it just really taught me that because it's like for a while it's like oh, I, I can't play that i can't hit that i mean yeah three or four songs on that record was an old you know Slingerland 50s snare drum that Jay had in there with a head on it that looked like it hadn't been touched and I can't, I mean, can't tell you how long and it sounds amazing it just right. sounds right you know yeah um so yeah I mean it just uh it's it was cool you know right. just, just coming up with well what does this song need yeah from a two by four to a snare drum, it's yeah. just like yeah, you know, yeah. I think that that there's there's been a recent generation that has has grown up seeing uh, being fed this narrative that we have manufacturers, this industry that almost came out of the the uh, the, the 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 mid to late '60s when the music industry, the retail industry has created this wonderful business and creating products that we all love and adore. Mm -hmm. But we're fed that this is what you need to make music. And again, there's, I mean, I love, I mean, I worked retail. My degree is in music merchandising. I mean, I worked retail for seven years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never been a big gearhead despite that, but still. I love going to Forks and looking at all the beautiful snare drums. Yeah. What new ride cymbals are out. Mm -hmm. Love that stuff. 
but man, you know, the ability to be creative and think outside the box in many ways and create some sounds and support the system. And again, like many of the people that we look to, our peers, guys like Aaron Sterling or, or you know, our idols like Matt Chamberlain and guys like that, what are they doing? How are they kind of moving the ball down the court, mm-hmm. you know, and, and changing things and ev- allowing this instrument, this young instrument to continue to evolve, Yeah, you know. Any advice for anybody that's getting into music business and balancing family? Is there anything that you've experienced with within your family that you can say this we knocked it out of the park my wife and i have figured this out and it's worked well for us maybe other people would benefit from what i've learned um and maybe your uh Maybe um, this is connected as well. Um, so maybe I'm gonna, I'll ask you two 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 questions. This mm-hmm. is another one that I I wrote out. When I was thinking about it because I saw your signature sticks. I was visiting guys at Innovative. Oh wow! Um, they're um, they've been a big uh, fans and support of the podcast. They helped us with a giveaway we did recently. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to know some guys there, and it's been really good. Uh, Nick and um, and uh, so he was showing. He had a pair of your sticks on his desk, and he's like, "Hey," I said, "I'm going to try and get a hold of Seth." And he goes, "Oh yeah, here's, there's these new sticks." And I was looking at them. I said, "Oh, what's this?" He goes, I don't, "I'm not really sure. I think it's there's some religious significance to the to the yeah. to the symbol on there." Sure. So I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. So I kind of wonder, like, so I wrote this question out and some other things that I saw. And I, I said, do you find it difficult at times or experience unique challenges maintaining a strong bond with your faith in a crazy business like this? And I don't know if that ties into creating or maintaining strong family within this unorthodox um, business in which we work in. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there anything that you want to address or feel comfortable talking about? Yeah. Um, I, I th- for me, it's always been, um, you know, uh, just a a trust factor like um what god wills for me on a daily basis or yearly basis or whatever um then that's what it's supposed to be so i won't say that it's um you know easy yeah uh being a full-time musician uh which means you're most of the time not at home, which is like any other job, but a yeah. lot of times you're just completely out of pocket. Mm-hmm. You're out of state, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my wife's amazing, you mm-hmm. know. She she just she she gets it done, you know. Yeah, um, she's awesome. But um, uh, so the reason why I started it that way when I said that was because, well, if if I am 
in this employment mm-hmm. and I have this family, that's the way this way it was supposed to be. This mm-hmm. is where I'm supposed to be. So it might seem difficult, um, but it doesn't mean you'd ever change your situation or wish that it was different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say. And for me, uh, as a whole, I, I, you know, I see a lot of guys that have been in town half as long as me that maybe have seemed to move at a faster pace or whatever. I kind of just, I never hit it real hard downtown. I mm-hmm. never, I just kind of let it happen, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, as as a, a rung broke or I, I needed to reach for the next one, it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, I'm thankful to find myself in a place where my family's taken care of, and yeah, you know, I get to play music, right? You know, right. Um, but uh, I, I guess maybe it just comes from, you know, if I had to give anyone any type of general advice, it'd just be play because you love to play, mm-hmm. and just treat people right. right. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and, uh, cause most of the time that's half of it, you know, you, you obviously have to be capable at your instrument, but yeah. the other half is that people want to be around you. Yeah. You know, that's a huge, you know, cause that, that gets old, you know, mm-hmm. if you're on the road with someone 90 minutes, 60 to 90 minutes is on stage time. Mm-hmm. If the rest of the time is miserable with someone, it's just not right. It's going to get old pretty quick, you know. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I you know, um, I'm not sure what what. Uh, well, going by going to what you were saying about you know, never felt like you hit it real hard. It sounds, though, I, I mean, early on, though, you had, you put in the time and the work mm-hmm. and and having some good mentors sure, and guidance and dealing with um, some setbacks with auditions and then just sticking with it sure. and having that time and energy to then establish yourself as a qualified player mm-hmm. and as a good person and all those things so that if it, you know, from, from the first road gig to then Gary Allen to management, knowing who you were to then having your back to get you to the next thing, mm-hmm. looking at little big town and then the people around you seeing you play Keith's camp, seeing you, there's not everyone's scenario that's it's all it's there's there's some people who definitely have had that experience and there's everyone's path is unique as a matter of fact i was thinking about this the other night when i was thinking about what i wanted to talk to you about and i was reminded of um 
something I overheard uh, Matt Billingsley say. Mm -hmm. uh, he was talking to, to a young player and giving him some advice, and I was eavesdropping. And, and Matt said, uh, he goes, you know, everyone's path is unique mm -hmm. and unpredictable. And you can't say, well, I, I want to do this like this person, like that. Like your path is unique. And you can hustle and you can try. I'm paraphrasing at this point. Yep. But I think his point was was you can't get caught up in um, other people's success, other people's path, because yours is unique. Mm -hmm. Everyone else's, um, the royal you, uh, you know. And it sounds like that's what's been happening. So yeah, you haven't hustled in this way, but you have hustled mm -hmm. in another way that has led its to where you are now and to what you're doing. Yeah, you know, if you're someone who 100% wants to do music and 100% wants to have a family, I would just say, um, you know, just support each other. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard for us to lose sight of what's going on back at home when we're out doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you give the home uh, life support... Mm -hmm. and, and she supports what you're doing, mm -hmm. then, it, you know, it should be fine. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to make another point about something. I forget what it was. Um, I had an old teacher who uh, I was getting ready to get married, and we had lunch together, and, and he goes, I'm going to give you some advice. He said... Uh, he goes, I was married once, and I'm not married anymore. And he goes, and here's the thing. I had my career, music. Oh, I've had her career. And there was a third element. It was the marriage. And we never paid attention to it. Yeah. I was into me. She was into her. And we never addressed that third element. And mm -hmm. that was the marriage. That was the thing. It needed attention. Yeah. You know. And... Um, I was like, okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I was going to say, too, is like, um, you know, I'm thankful for everything that I have and that I get to do. But at a certain point, I just always knew that I didn't, especially now it's more evident having a family, that I didn't want to trade that for something we're all going to get old you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um no sad no. yeah <laughs> you know the, the this is about me and this is my career only lasts for so long mm -hmm. and then you realize mm -hmm. well shit i made it about me yeah and i'm the only one that's here now mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so um sometimes i look at you know i, I was given this this beautiful family with which takes a lot of attention mm -hmm. whereas um if i was just maybe had less on my plate or uh, chose to not do that that i'd have all the time in the world to you know wake up make coffee play my drums mm -hmm. make some more coffee play my drums mm -hmm. you know make charts learn music uh whatever but that's not the way it was supposed to be and so um, I could hypothetically think about all the time I'm not giving to the drums, but on this other hand, I have something that's going to continue to live on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
for a long time after I'm incapable of playing drums. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that means a lot to me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, uh, it might be frustrating in the sense that, you know, you want to give this other thing more time, but, um, enough time is, is given that's needed, you know? Right. At some point. Otherwise, I don't think I would really be in the position I'm in right now. You know, I had to have given it enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I think people that are interested, that are are thinking about that next stage of their life, you know, if they're wanting to start a family or considering it, it's like... Here's here's the beautiful thing about it, and for anyone that wants to, is that after my first son was born, my confidence rose exponentially mm-hmm. as uh, a self-employed person, as a, as a business person, as a drummer, as a musician. Like, I guess, like, I still cared, and I always. Uh, do about my performance about the music but I had a confidence and and a, and a just just a like um, well this is what you got mm-hmm. this is what I was able to do because I'm sorry but uh, your gig is at number one on my list this yeah. week and I played better mm-hmm. and my attitude was better and I was able to roll with it yeah. because I because I like well my priorities shifted Mm-hmm. You know, in that way. Yeah. You know. Definitely. So it if it if if you fire me from this gig or if this doesn't happen, you know what, it's okay, I'm still good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Um well with all the things you have and you flying in late last night and us making this happen, I just want to thank you so much oh, for man. taking the time to do this, man. And 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 filling in for me last minute. You've been on my list for such a long time. And and we're reminding ourselves how long I've known you, man, since I mean I think you're one of the first, you know, players that I met when I moved to town. Yeah. So it's been a oh, while. Wow. So yeah. it's it's good to hang, it's good to catch up. Um uh, more than thankful that you would ask me to be a part of it. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate Matt. you, dude. No problem. Thank you. So there's Seth Roush, everyone. I just want to thank uh, Seth for taking the time to speak with me. And it was kind of a last-minute deal, but I'm so glad he was available. And uh, it's been a long time uh, that I've known Seth, and I'm glad that we were able to sit down and talk. It's been really cool to see all the things that he's done over the last couple decades and uh he's just so uh such a his success is well deserved and i wish him continued success in the coming years for sure um my thanks as always goes to mike jackson for his technical assistance and stay tuned next week for uh, zach albetta's interview a quick reminder we have t-shirts available you can find them on our website workingdrummer.net Uh, Also, if you are interested in supporting this podcast and what we do, you can find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. This podcast is an ongoing project that needs help and to maintain and sustain the work that we do. 
uh, as we grow, our expenses grow, and anything that you can do to help us uh, continue to do this, which we enjoy and we love doing every week, uh, is super appreciated. Again, patreon.com slash working drummer. We have awards for you, uh, for people that participate, different tiers of awards. So it could be a free t-shirt, could be a lesson with Ben Caesar, it could be uh, uh, access to bonus content. But at the very least, go to patreon.com slash working drummer and see what I'm talking about. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash working drummer. There's also a link on our website, workingdrummer.net. But again, we thank you guys so much for your input and listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.